Amen. Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be with you all again this morning. I want to start by saying what a joy it is to, especially with the last song that we just sang, to have music and scripture come together. Um, the singing of Come Thou Fount with Psalm 1 is a tune that for many of us who have been together on Sunday evenings, a tune that we are now familiar with, accustomed with, is We've been singing uh, with Pastor Corey uh, Psalm 1 together, and i got to tell you, um, for those of you who struggle with scriptures and not struggle with what the Word of God says, but maybe struggle with scripture memorization or struggle with um, just recalling verses, I can think of no better way to memorize scripture than to set scripture to song. I mean, uh, case in point, how many of you can remember many of your vacation Bible school songs, particularly the ones that you sing and then you realize, wow, that comes directly from the Word of God. Who knew? Um, that's a good way to memorize it and to know it. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to sing uh, Psalm 1 and to sing back the very Word of God because the reality is when we gather for worship, we, we're not here to worship individuals. We're not here to worship people. We're not here to worship praise bands or ensembles or praise teams or choirs or pastors. We're here to praise God. And that is why the church is gathered. It's gathered for the glory of God. We're here because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We're not here for any other reason. And so as a church, my prayer is that we would never lose sight of that. Now, we are still walking through the Word of God together. We are still in 1 Timothy, moving through 1 Timothy in our series that we've called Letters from the Pastor. Now, obviously, we still have Paul speaking to Timothy, working with Timothy, and particularly the church at Ephesus uh, through several of the issues that they were dealing with, but all of them mainly tied to false teachings that had now plagued the church. So as we're going to see in our text today in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to find that Paul is actually going to take time to explain to Timothy and to explain to the church at Ephesus that as a body of believers, we are family. Now I want you to pause and think about that for a moment. We here as members of Southside Baptist Church are a part of the faith family that God has called together at Southside Baptist Church. You see, we're not just any family. We're not, we're not second cousins and third cousins twice removed and fourth and fifth cousins that maybe we only see once a year at family reunions or over the holidays, whether it be Christmas or Thanksgiving. No, we are an immediate family gathered collectively as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we can take it a step further and say that we're not just any family, but we are a part of the one family of God. And so my hope and my goal for us today as we, as we walk through this passage that we will begin to see that as a family, as members of Christ's church, my prayer is that we would treat one another with dignity, that we would speak to one another with love, and that we would respect one another 
And that also includes this dignity, love, and respect. This includes maintaining what can best be described as a wise and compassionate support for the widows in our church, as we will learn from Paul today. You see, when we begin thinking about the church, particularly the modern-day church, we see that for too many Christians right now, there are too many people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, and they show up for church. You see, it's easy to simply walk into worship. It's easy to come into worship and sing some songs together. It's easy to listen really half-heartedly to a sermon and then ultimately walk out the door without ever enjoying any meaningful fellowship with other believers. And yet, if that is what we are doing, then we are clearly missing the point of what it means to be a faith family. And so I would encourage you today that as we walk through 1 Timothy chapter 5, I would encourage you to stop for a moment and look around the room. Do we even know the people that we are sitting beside? When we look around the room today and and we look across the room, do we even know or recognize any of the people who are currently around us in our pews? And you see, sadly... The reality is for our church, as with many American evangelical churches today, we probably have no idea who most people are who are in the church right now. But here's the reality for us as we're going to see in Paul and his letter to Timothy here in 1 Timothy. We're going to see that we are all spiritual brothers and sisters. We are all people whom Jesus Christ died for, which should mean for us that we should have and show some sort of concern and love for one another. In fact, when we look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, we learn that not loving fellow believers is now evidence that we have not passed from death to life, and therefore we have no faith in Jesus Christ. Now, coming back to Paul and his letter to Timothy, Paul realizing that he was speaking and writing to a divided faith family over false teaching will now call the church to pay careful attention to how we treat like-minded believers. You see, the way we treat fellow believers is indicative of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn with me now to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to begin reading 1 Timothy chapter 5 in verse 1. And once you have found your place, if you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, speaking to the church at Ephesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. 
She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to gather around your word, to be able to pray your word, to hear your word spoken. We praise you for the opportunity we've had to sing your word. And God, we thank you now for these next few moments that we have together to teach and understand your word. Father, we pray that through these next few moments that we have together, Lord, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, we are here because of you. We gather for you. God, we are present and able to worship you because of your grace and the sovereign plan that you have for us. So, Father, prepare our hearts and our minds for your truth. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. We praise you for how you're working in this place. And now, Father, we pray that you would be with us as we prepare to seek to understand you from your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. And Father, we pray that in these next few moments that you and you alone will be glorified. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could quickly, just to set the scene for you, after urging Timothy and to the church here to proclaim and to live out of the very truth of the word of God, Paul is going to now turn his attention to the way that we should be treating one another as a part of the family of God within the context of the local church. So we're going to see two very simple points from Paul this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. We're going to see first that as a faith family, we are called to love one another. 
We see this in verses 1 and 2, particularly in verse 1 as we read it again when it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. Now, Paul in this moment is not telling us to hold off on calling one another out if we see sin. That's not what Paul is doing here. Rather, he is saying to us that when speaking to older men and speaking to older women within the church, Paul is now teaching us and encouraging us that we should talk to older men and talk to older women with dignity and respect. In other words, as a faith family, collectively together, we should have affection for the older members as we would for our own parents. You see, in too many churches today, and too oftentimes, what we see happening in churches is our seniors are elderly, and no offense to our elderly, I don't like using the word elderly. I'd prefer seniors or gray hairs, if you will, because gray hair imparts wisdom. Now, I already know that some of you may be offended by that because you don't have gray hair, to God be the glory. But when speaking of our seniors, we're now living in a time where many of our seniors are now forgotten within the church. Our seniors are being abandoned within the church. Rather, what we should be doing as a church is we, we should be listening to our seniors. We should be learning from our seniors. We should be willing to spend time with our seniors. Now, in saying this, I also have to say that this is not solely upon the younger generation of the church to do. In fact, older generation in our church, and you know who you are, I would encourage you with Paul's own words here that as seniors in the church, be more like Solomon who, through his wisdom in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, taught us that as seniors, we have more to give. We may not be able to physically keep up with the work necessary in the church, but as seniors, you have wisdom to impart upon the generations to come in the church. So seniors, do not stop working. Rather, as seniors, help with wisdom. Do not stop imparting wisdom simply because you are retired and wish to do nothing more. You see, as followers of Christ, there is no such thing as retirement. There is simply a new chapter until God calls us home. So here, according to Paul, seniors recognize that in this church, at Southside Baptist Church, you are not forgotten. In fact, you are desperately needed. Now, Paul would then turn his attention to speaking of the younger men. He says of the younger men that they are to be treated like brothers. And then of the younger women, he says that they are to be treated like sisters. Now notice this. Pay attention, generations in the church. Notice that he speaks of older men being treated like fathers and older women being treated like mothers. But then instead of saying younger men are to be treated like sons and younger women are to be treated like daughters, he says they are to be treated like brothers and sisters. In other words, they are to be treated as equals. 
You see, no one generation in the church has authority over another. But rather, they are brothers and sisters, a part of the one body. So you see, when it comes to the younger generation in the church, the younger generation of our church is to be honored, as Paul says, in all purity. In other words, their purity of heart and their purity of mind is to be protected by the church. So when speaking to the younger generations, we are called to speak to them with tenderness and to speak to them with wisdom. And notice that we are not told to speak to them that would insinuate it's a my way or the highway mentality. Do you want to know why so many younger generations of folks are not coming back to the church? It's really simple. You don't need to read a study about it. It's because we've given them extra biblical criteria. It's because we've said to them, either act like us or move along. And there's a problem with that statement. According to the word of God, the only person that we're called and required to act like is Jesus Christ. No one else. You see, in Paul's very words here in verses 1 and 2, he is now stressing to the church, again, that we are a faith family together. And as a faith family, we should be able to relate to one another accordingly. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to love our fellow family members like our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. As a part of the one faith family, we are called to love one another even in spite of our disagreements. You see, a faith family that reflects that of Jesus Christ is willing to talk to one another when issues arise. They are willing to meet together and pray together and talk to one another and work out their differences when concerns arise. You see, when it comes to the church today, we should not be known for what political party we stand by. We should not be known for what our views and beliefs are when it comes to pandemics all over the world. Rather, when it comes to the church, the world should know us by our ability to work together, by our ability to unite together according to the word of God and our ability to love one another the same way Jesus Christ loved us. You see, when we look to the scriptures in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35, in Jesus' own words, he says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, if we want to bear witness to the world, if we want to maintain unity within the church, then we need to be faithful people who obey the word of God. In other words, we need to learn to treat one another with dignity, with love, and with respect. And so here comes our question just off of verse 1 and 2. How are we doing when it comes to loving and respecting those who are a part of our faith family? How are we doing at getting to know one another beyond the four walls of the church? 
How are we protecting and persevering in unity for the glory of God through what it is we say in private or in public or dare I say in our social media posts? You see, our responsibility is to glorify God in our worship and to glorify God in our words and how we care and love one another. This will lead to Paul's second point of who we are to be and what we are to do as a faith family. He says this, that as a faith family, we are now called to care for those who have no family. We see this beginning in verse 3 and then carrying on through verse 16. So after referring to multiple groups within the one family of God, Paul now turns his attention to one specific group within the church, and that group is the widows. You see, what Paul is now going to do in these verses is he's going to show us that through widow ministry, we should not only learn to love one another, but we should also care for one another as well. And so what Paul is doing is he is simply stating what has been stated in scriptures multiple times. In fact, when you look over to James chapter 1, verse 27, we read these words from James. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit or care for the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the the world. You see, God's word teaches us that we are to care for orphans along with those widows who have no one to provide for them or watch out for them. So in light of our passage today in verses 3 through 16 of 1 Timothy 5 and what we just read in our passage in James, we now have to ask ourselves as a church, what are we doing to intentionally care for the widows that God has entrusted to our care? You see, God is not only the father to the fatherless, but he is also the defender of the widow. In fact, the Bible itself is clear in our need to care for widows. When you look in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 22, and again in Isaiah chapter 1, we see that God cared for the widows through the very people of Israel. Fast forward to the Gospels, and in Mark chapter 12, and again in Luke chapter 7, we see that widow care is called upon through the teachings of Jesus Christ. And then again, as we just read in James chapter 1, verse 27, we see that widow care now comes through the local church. Now again, when we look at our passage, particularly in 1 Timothy 5, verse 3, notice that it says this, honor widows who are truly widows. Now, this is interesting because some of you may read this passage and all of a sudden ask the question, is Paul telling us that we need to form a security team and create passports and identities for widows to then assess and quiz whether or not these women are truly widows? Is that what Paul is telling us to do? No. Rather, what he is saying is as a church, we need to be aware that real pain exists, that real grief exists, that hurt exists, and it lasts a lifetime for the widow. 
You see, we have a responsibility to love and to care and to minister to our widows. But yet at the same time as we read Paul's words, we're going to see that even our widows have a high calling within the church. So again, as we look back into our passage, there are some historical differences that I want us to pay attention when it comes to first century widows in Ephesus versus those in modern America. You see, widows today in modern times, we are living in a completely different culture than what Paul was dealing with at the church of Ephesus. You see, our culture is very affluent now. We have things like disability insurance and life insurance. Whether or not that's good or not, that can be determined at a later date. However, we know we have the options. We have the option of 401ks. There are assisted living centers and nursing homes that provide for the elderly. Now, I'm not saying that these items are all good, nor am I necessarily saying that these items are all bad but what I am saying is this is that as a church if we are not careful then these items can lead the church to abdicate our responsibility to caring for our widows and yet clearly as we see our current context is obviously different from that of Ephesus You see, when you go back and look at the first century widows that Paul was talking about, the widows of Ephesus, they didn't have elderly systems. They didn't have elderly care. They didn't have 401ks or insurance plans. We also see that for Paul, in speaking to Timothy, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and again we'll see later in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that widows, both young and old, were now the ones who were predominantly buying into the false teachings. And so it was the widows within the church that were actually causing most of the problems that Timothy was dealing with. So again, as we look at our passage Clearly we see that the issues of false teaching and how the widows were buying into these false teachings, this is clearly what was on Paul's mind as he wrote verses 3 through 16. So again, let's look at this passage in the context with what Paul was addressing. Again in verse 3, we say again, honor widows who are truly widows. You see, in his own words, Paul is teaching us that there is such a thing as qualified widows who are to be honored through the church with support. And so Paul focuses the church to care for these particular widows who are in the church and in need of support based on what can be called qualifications of a biblical widow. In verses 4 and 5, we see our first qualification. You see, widows must be without family. Now, as we look at this passage, we clearly see that Paul is calling the church to care for those widows who are truly alone with no physical family to support her. So a widow's children and grandchildren are to have the primary responsibility to care for her. In fact, it is a biblical mandate for Christian children that's apparent here. 
For us as the younger generation, we are now biblically mandated and called to care for our aging parents, to support them and to care for them, for this is pleasing in the sight of God, according to verse 4. But then skip over to verse 8 and let's pay attention to these words. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You see, caring for aging parents is a fundamental display of Jesus Christ's care and love for all people. If we as believers fail in this arena then we are denying our faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we can argue that within the Bible, it is impossible for a Christian not to care for his own household. In fact, we move from there in verse 16, and we see that caring for widows should be done by the widow's family first so that the church, now pay attention to these words, would not be burdened. Now, if you're a widow in the room, please don't hear me saying you are a burden. Do not hear God saying you are a burden. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. I recognize that these are some very tough words to hear and a very tough pill to swallow, but pay attention to what Paul is truly saying in these verses. He is saying this, that as believers in God, as a part of the family of God, it is the family's responsibility to care for their widows. It is the family's responsibility to care for the older generation and to care for aging parents. And then the church comes and supports them. Again, we as believers, are called to set the example. And we cannot simply go through the motions of the believer and being a believer and coming to worship God and then abdicate our role to love and care for one another, especially for our widows within our families. Let me see if I can make this simpler for us to understand today. It is not the responsibility of our federal government to care for our parents. It is not the responsibility of our country to care for our widows. In fact, if you've paid any attention to history whatsoever, or you're paying attention to other countries around the world as they become more progressive and they become more secular, the more churches and families within the church abdicate their responsibility in caring for their widows, and the more they give that responsibility to their federal government, the government is now making the decision to not care for senior adults. In fact, you only have to do a short Google search to realize that many countries are now one vote away from making it okay to kill anyone over 65 if they can be seen as a burden. But you see, when it comes to Christians... When it comes to being a part of the faith family of God... When it comes to Southside Baptist Church... 
as your pastor, and I can speak for our leadership on this, hear me. You are not a burden to us. If you're 60 or 65 and older, if you're a widow in our church, if you consider yourself elderly, if you consider yourself a gray hair, now I only say that because we have several in the room who would fit that category, but they do not consider themselves elderly. I'm thinking of Charlotte Abernathy right now, who could probably run circles around most of us. I'm thinking of Anita Knowles, who is right here, right now. She would not consider herself elderly by any stretch of the imagination. I know she can run circles around me. But when we are thinking of our seniors, seniors, we want you to know we care. We want you to know that at Southside, we love you. We're not, no one's trying to push you out of this place. No one's trying to push you into a home. You're not a burden to this place. In fact, if I can encourage you with any words, I would say these words to you. I've had several seniors come to me and ask, and they say questions. They ask me questions like this. They say, Pastor, I don't know where I belong anymore at Southside Baptist Church. And so let me share with you the story that gets shared with me. You see, anytime we have new members come to our church, in many instances, we ask them, Give me your top three reasons of what drew you to the church. Why are you here? Now, obviously, they'll give us the first good answer. It's very biblical. It's something they've prayed over, and they love the fact that we are a church, that when we gather for worship, we sing the word of God, and we teach faithfully from the word of God. The second reason they give is because they see a church that is trying to grow and make a difference and a kingdom impact in their community. But do you want to know what the third reason always is? Because we see gray hairs. And we want them to be in our lives. And we want to get to know them. And we want them to know us. You're not a burden. In fact, you are a blessing. You see, when we begin to think about how we care for one another, we need to realize that as a church, not only within our immediate family, but as a faith family, we are called to care for our aging parents because it pleases God. We are called to care for them because it demonstrates our faith to the world and it also relieves the church for other ministries that the church needs to be a part of. Now we move from there into verses five and six and here we see the second biblical qualification of a widow. We see that a widow is to be one who has set her hope on God, according to verse 5. In other words, I'm going to put this down simply for you. She is to be one who is focused upon God above all else. She is one who is not living her life in fear. Rather, she is living her life in faith, knowing that it is God who will provide. It is God who has provided to her up until this very day, and it is God who will provide even into tomorrow. Paul goes on from there into verse 5 and 6 and gives us our third qualification of a widow. He says that she should continue in supplications and prayers night and day. Now notice this. Notice that in these three qualifications, we don't see widows who are self-indulgent. 
We don't see widows who are self-centered. We don't see widows who are saying, this is all about me. Rather, we see widows who are God-centered. We see widows who are now given the unique ministry of prayer. You see, Paul, in speaking to his context, to Timothy in Ephesus, he is clearly speaking here at this moment to older widows, older widows who now have time, older widows who are no longer burdened with children and no longer burdened with what's happening in the home. And he calls them to devote themselves to prayer. Notice that Paul's instruction here is for widows in the church to devote themselves not only to prayer, but also to the ministry of prayer and intercession. You see, as the church supports the widow, the widow who seems to think she has nothing to offer can now be an intercessor on behalf of her church for the glory of God. You see, widows... If you feel like you are physically unable to do anything, there is always something you can do. You can pray for your church. You can pray for your elders, your leaders. You can pray for the people of the church. And you can pray for the gospel of Jesus Christ to spread all over our community. Now, I know the things that I just seemed uh, to mention seemed very simple, and it seems like something that ought to be done, but I want you to pay careful attention to this. You see, I'm actually a part of multiple prayer emails that go out, not only with our church, but also with several other churches. And somehow, by God's grace, that's the only way I can define it, I have ended up on four different widows' ministries, prayer, and intercessory groups, okay? None of them are with our church. But here's something I've noticed about each one of these groups. I've noticed that they send out prayer emails, which is good and right and of God. Why not? We have technology, easy way to get prayer out. I noticed that they pray for a lot of things. They pray for physical healing. They pray for upcoming surgeries. They pray for post-surgery recoveries. They pray for, uh, they pray for their political leaders. They're praying for who the next president is going to be. All these things are good and right. But the one concern I have is this. When I look through their lists, I never see them praying for their church. I never see them praying for their pastors. I never see them praying for their their elders. I never see them praying for their young families. And I never see them praying for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be spread all over the community. And yet these are things that we are called to pray for. We move from there into verse 9. And speaking still of the widow, we see that Paul says, let a widow be enrolled. Now, many scholars agree that this enrollment or this list of widows that Paul is referencing is calling the widows to gather together for the purpose of serving the local church. Now notice this, notice that Paul calls the widows to serve, just like he does the faith family. But then notice that Paul gives widows qualifications for their service. In other words, he gives them a job description, just like he does with elders and like he does with deacons. You see, he says that widows must be mature. In other words, he says that they are to not be less than 60, 
If married, we see that widows must have been faithful. He, Paul says that they should be the wife of one husband or a one woman of one man. If she has kids, she is called to care for her children. We see this in verse 10 when it says she is to have a reputation for good works if she has brought up children. We then see that the widow should be hospitable, a humble servant, unselfish, and yes, kind. You see, Paul reveals to us that widows still have value to the church. And so by placing qualifications upon them, he wants the widows to see the great and high calling that is now placed upon their lives and to now continue to be faithful stewards to the work that God has called them to, to the local church. You see, for older widows, and yes, even for older members, My prayer for you is that you would maximize the time that you now have through serving the local church. In other words, now is not the time for gossip. We're going to get into that. Now is not the time for idols or being idlers or even idolatry. We're about to get into that. Now is not the time for nostalgia. It is a time to look forward. It is a time to continue to serve and to see what it is that God is going to do next through the life of the local church. You see, here's the reality. Our church has been here for 52, 53 years now. God has done a wonderful work in the life of this church. We have a rich history in the life of this church. But let us not forget that all the things we remember from years past that God has done, praise God for them. But know if God can do it then, he will do it today. So let's look forward to what it is that God will do. As a faith family, We are called now to honor our widows. We are now called to support our widows, to love our widows, and to care for our widows in our service to them. And let me encourage you, do not allow this ministry to widows to simply be a deacon ministry. This is a ministry for all of our faith family. In fact, i got to tell you, I have never been more encouraged than pre-COVID days when our Tuesday ladies would go and visit our widows. They had some of the most incredible stories you could ever imagine. I think of Miss Vivian Rivers who, uh, because of just health and life, can't get out much anymore. But to go and hear her tell stories about Buddy, some that are hilarious, some I'm not even sure Buddy would approve of, but to hear her history what I've quickly realized is there is so much that we can learn from these people. We move from there into verses 11 and verse, through verse 16. Paul now turns his attention to the younger widows. Now again, let's pay, for, pay attention to this in the context of Paul speaking to Timothy at the church of Ephesus. Paul calls these widows to remarry. Now again, this is not a mandate 
from Paul. We know that Paul affirms singleness. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. However, when it comes to Ephesus and what was happening, false teachers were now teaching these women to not only not marry, but to avoid remarriage because it was bad. He then goes on to tell them that remarriage and, and marriage itself was against God's design, but that is clearly not what God had intended when it came to the marriage of man and woman. So then all of a sudden, these, these young elder, elderly women, these, not young elderly, that's wrong, these young widowed women were now speaking out in the church. They were speaking out, refuting the very words and teachings of Jesus Christ, and they were now causing problems within the church because of their newfound liberation. And so Paul urges these women with the following words in verse 13. He tells them, do not be idlers. He says that these women have learned to be idlers. In other words, Paul tells them to not be lazy. Because here's what happens when we become idlers. When we become idlers, that can open the door for sin. You see, laziness allows the mind to wander. Laziness allows the heart to become selfish. And laziness allows for sin to enter in. And so he cautions them to not become idle, rather to continue in the work that God has called them to. He then tells them to not be gossips. He reminds us in verse 13 that these women have also become gossips. In other words, Paul teaches us here that we are not to wander from home to home spreading gossip. In other words, we are not to wander into prayer gatherings and prayer meetings asking prayer requests for half-truths. We are not to be talking negatively about people behind their backs. We are not to be speaking misinformation or false information when it comes to the church because that is spreading gossip. And the reality is all of us are susceptible to these sins. You see, when we are lazy, we have time on our hands. And when we have time on our hands, we have more opportunities to gossip and to sin. And Paul clearly tells us, do not be a part of a crowd that is speaking or even listening to that which is false. You see, we are called as believers to flee from sin and to seek to glorify God in whatever situation we are in. So widows, yes, even our older members, Do you still see that you have a high calling by God to the local church? For our widows, for our older members, please do not neglect the call of God that has been placed upon your lives. You see, our churches have a clear responsibility to support widows. We are called to support widows who don't have relatives, who depend upon God, and who are ultimately devoted to prayer. 
According to Paul's words here, we see that widows should be women of prayer. They should avoid idleness and gossip and themselves be devoted to seeking the Lord in prayer and in continued service to the church with the unique opportunities given to them by God. Again, to our widows and our, our, our older members, I want you to hear this again. You are very much valued in the life of our church. You are very much needed. So continue to come. Continue to be used by God to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ all over our community. And for our faith family, our church, My prayer is that we would care intentionally for our widows, that we would care intentionally for the older generation, that we would find them as they seek to find us. We would contact them as they seek to contact the younger generations. We would seek them out and sit together and worship together in the local church. You see, my prayer is that the gospel of Jesus Christ would lead us to look out for the most vulnerable in the church, and that is our orphans and our widows. You see, my hope is that one day, one day we will see our church not as a place where individuals gather, but as a faith family compelled by Jesus Christ who come together to worship and they care for one another, giving special care to orphans and to widows. My prayer is that we would never forget. Man, we are not a club. We are not members of a country club. Rather, as a part of the body of Christ, we are family. Let's pray to that end. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be here, to be in this place, and to worship you. Father, I pray that as we move from this time, Father, help us to see the call that we have on our lives, that we are one family together. We are here because of you. We are here to make much of your name so that you are glorified, not so that any of us are glorified, but only you. Father, the reality for each of us in this room is you know the, you know the numbers of our days. You know the day where we will breathe our last breath. Father, our bodies will eventually turn to dust. And so, God, in the days that you have given us, I pray that we would make those days not about ourselves, not about our legacy, not about who we are, but rather making much of your name so that in our lives, you and you alone would be glorified. Father, I pray that as we pass into glory, 
Father, may we be forgotten. And may your name live on. So, Father, in our actions and our words, may you be glorified. May you be praised. May you be lifted up. We are here because of you. Now, Father, help us to love, help us to serve, help us to care according to your word so that your name will be proclaimed above all else. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, we have come.